You're listening to the Visualizing War podcast. In each episode, we talk about representations of war in art, text, film, and music. With new guests each time, we look at how people have described or imagined war in different periods and places. And we discuss the impact which war stories have on us as individuals and societies. Hello, I'm Alice Koenig. And I am Nicholas Vieta. And we co-direct the Visualizing War project based at the University of St Andrews. In a nutshell, we study how war stories work and what they do to us. We're interested in lots of different kinds of war story. So news reports, photographs, the stories told by monuments and museums, stories told on stage and on screen, even stories that are simply passed down from one generation to the next. And we're particularly interested in how all the representations of war that surround us interact with each other and then generate really powerful ideas. So for example, about sacrifice or leadership or masculinity or belonging, which then affect how we think and feel and behave. We are launching a podcast to bring lots of different people into the conversation, including you, our listeners. We want to find out more about our shared habits of visualizing war by talking to artists, novelists, theater, film and documentary makers, photographers and war reporters. We will be talking to academics too, to find out about historic habits of describing and depicting war from all around the world. And we will be interviewing soldiers, veterans, victims of conflict, psychologists and peace activists to help us think more about how representations of war today affect how it is conducted and experienced by lots of different people. So this podcast series is for anyone who's interested in representations of war past and present, for anyone who has ever been moved or horrified or fascinated or excited by a war story and wants to understand why. And for anyone who's interested in how representations of war might change the ways in which we actually conduct war or perhaps even help prevent or mitigate future conflict. We've been interviewing some really fascinating people for this upcoming series, but to kick us off, we thought that it would help you, our listeners, to get to grips with our project if we introduce ourselves first and explain how we came to set up Visualizing War. So, Nicholas, do you want to go first and give a quick overview of your research interests? Yes, thanks, Alice. So my main interest, well, at the moment at any rate, is Greek historical writing under Roman rule. So historical works written by Greeks in Greek about the Romans. And a large part of this, this literature has to do with war, simply because war and uh, battle and, and warfare were such common elements of ancient culture. And um, one main preoccupation of mine uh, has been to find new ways of looking at those depictions of war and um, depictions of, uh, of battle in these texts. Uh, there is already a lot of literature obviously there on the sort of strictly historical aspects of these texts. Uh, when exactly did the battle happen? Uh, troop numbers? Uh, what did the weaponry look like? Uh, strategy and tactic? What caused a particular group to win or to lose? All of these sort of um, real life elements. And, I am very interested in those real life elements as well. I consider myself a historian as well as, a, as somebody who's in, interested in literature. But I always also felt that there must be a bit more that we can do with these um, narratives of war and battle. 
And uh, one of the elements that I would like to bring in uh, a bit more strongly here is the question of how depictions of battle um, and war interact with other texts of the, um, of, of the same period, but also how they have influenced texts of later periods. Uh, and that's what I'm hoping to sort of develop as part of this project. That's really interesting, Nicholas. I come from a slightly different starting point, but I've got very similar interests um, in the end to you. So I'm a Roman historian, but also a scholar of Latin literature. And my early research focused on intellectual history in particular. So ancient knowledge systems, how Greeks and Romans organized and valued different kinds of knowledge. And then through that ancient scientific and technical writing. And that got me really interested in ancient military writing in particular. So from antiquity, we have surviving a number of handbooks on tactics, treatises on how to be a good general, how you might carry out a successful siege, how you might come up with clever stratagems and so on. Um, and I'm really interested in how military or strategic expertise was imagined in the ancient world and also how it was communicated and passed on. But of course, military and strategic expertise and ideas weren't just communicated through these technical manuals. They were communicated through history writing, the kind of works that you look at, Nicholas. Um, and also one of the most influential texts in the ancient world in shaping ideas about how war should be conducted and how generals should behave was not a technical or a scientific treatise, but an epic poem, Homer's Iliad, that really famous, very, very early Greek epic poem, which tells the story of the Trojan War. That poem has had a really huge impact on ideas of heroism, battle tactics, images of leadership, ideas of sacrifice, even what roles women take in war. And that influence has lasted well beyond the ancient world. So the ideals that are embodied in heroes like Achilles and Hector still resonate today. So that, that brings me on to my other main research interest, which is intertextuality. As you said, Nicholas, the influence that texts have on each other, the ways in which narratives in text, but also arts, oral storytelling and so on, interact with each other across space and time. And they perhaps echo each other, they rewrite each other. And in the process, they help to reinforce recurring ideas, for example, about how soldiers behave or what happens to women and children when they've been captured in war. So I've studied intertextuality in lots of different contexts, not just in relation to war stories, but it's really central to my interest in how war stories work and how they then end up shaping cultural discourses about gender, about good leadership, nationalism and so on, which then in turn influence our mindsets and behaviours. So we're, we're interested in very similar things, Nicholas, um, even though we've kind of come from, from different starting points, perhaps. I think you actually noticed the overlaps in our work before I did. And I remember you suggesting that we should go for a coffee and talk about the possibility of, of setting up a project together. So maybe you could explain what your original thinking was and, and how we came up with the idea of visualizing war. Yes, those were the, the beginnings of the project that then also led to a, a, an interesting conference that we did together and a volume that will be based on that. And we'll probably talk about that um, a little bit in a moment. Well, to be honest, the, the, the first contact originated from uh, a bit of a lack of inspiration on my part on uh, what, what, what I should do with those war and battle narratives that I was looking at. And I was really quite, quite a bit at a loss, so to speak as to what new angles uh, I might be able to develop. And obviously I knew that you were working on, uh, on, uh, on war and strategy 
and um, and 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 battle narratives as part of this, but also that you were working on these uh, uh, aspects of intertextuality. So it, you know, my my hope was, and you know, this that has been realized as well. Setting up this kind of collaborative project would get a better view of what's possible and what interesting, exciting things we can do with descriptions of war and battle in ancient literature. I also guess, I mean, this uh, this might be a good point to talk a bit more about uh, what we mean when we say intertext, intertextuality, a fairly fancy term that uh, really is about uh, different texts interacting with each other, but also, as has become already clear, I think, Alice, from what you were saying, it's not just about uh, something that happens within literature, something that's completely sort of separated from uh, from real life. I guess when, when we say text, we have a fairly broad idea of what a text is. So uh, images, uh, texts, uh, artwork, monuments, everything that we make sense of when we look at it or read it or hear about it in terms of inscribing it into sort of bigger storylines. That's a text for us. And uh, obviously the intertext that we're looking at also concerns the way in which reading about certain things, in this case, war and battle that influences people's behavior outside of reading and uh, and storytelling. So there is a, there's a direct link between what people read and the, the various things that have influenced the text that they read, uh, the way in which they read these texts, because they bring their own experiences and, and ideas and influences to those texts, and how that then, in a third step, so to speak, influences the way in which they act. For example, we know that many uh, ancient military leaders would imagine themselves in terms of an Achilles, for example, or you know, in, in terms of one of the, the famous Roman Republican commanders. So these were powerful models that were created, set up by literature that then had a direct and tangible influence on how people acted in real life. Yes, and they're, and they're created also by artwork as well and sculpture and monumentalization. So walking through the city of Rome or walking through the city of Athens, for example, people would have been confronted by all sorts of visible visual images of great leaders and so on from the mythical past as well as from the sort of the, the, the near contemporary history. Um, and I, I suppose what you've just said, Nicholas, that I think the phrase that I quite like to use sometimes to, to sort of capture what we're interested in is this feedback loop between narrative and reality, that way in which these narratives in literature, in art, in oral storytelling, um, really don't just reflect reality, they don't just reflect what happened, but they help to shape future realities. Because as you say, these are very, very powerful stories which generate these ideologies, which then people play out when they're on the battlefield or when they're being attacked or when they're thinking through what their experience of conflict has been. Yes, exactly. And uh, I, I think this sort of shared interest for which battle and, and, and war narratives are such a fruitful field for exploration, just because there's all this activity, all the dynamics that are going on, and the the link between text and action is really quite close, and maybe you know a lot a lot closer than in other texts. Uh, if you think of philosophical texts that are maybe primarily written to stimulate contemplation in the first instance, whereas with war and battle narratives, I always feel like the link between text and action is a lot closer. And this this kind of shared interest, this attempt to understand how these various influences between 
different kinds of texts and between text and reality work um, that has led to that, that that first volume that we are working on at the moment that came out of the conference that we organized together in which we are looking at um, interplay dialogue um, uh, interaction between different representations of war and battle um, across well almost all of antiquity really and not just in the greco-roman world but also in the eastern world so we're, we're taking a very broad view in terms of time and also geographical um, boundaries in order to try to understand how people talked and thought about how they visualized uh, war in a, across uh, a whole range of different uh, different genres. Yeah, so by visualizing, what we mean is not simply depicting in, in visual form, but that act of imagining, that act of understanding. And as you say, Nicholas, we've got this volume, which actually has emerged out of our first conference. So, you know, studying war narratives from across antiquity and, and our ambition, not just to focus on Greek and Roman, but to, to take a much broader cultural perspective is obviously a very big undertaking. So I think we were clear from the start that we wanted to collaborate with lots of other scholars with expertise in different periods and cultures. So our first step, as I say, is, was to organise a conference with a real focus on how different war stories from different periods and cultures in antiquity or different genres influenced each other. So we had a really fantastic range of papers. For example, um, Dr. Lisa Howe from Glasgow looked at connections between Greek inscriptions and then history writing. So how personal or official records of very short records of what happened in a particular battle or a particular conflict related to perhaps influenced history writing, but were in turn influenced by the tropes of history writing. We had papers on really violent depictions of warfare, for example, in Lucan's poem, The Civil Wars, really extreme um, depictions of bodily violence. Also, the way in which war stories from, let's say, Homer's Iliad turn up on much later tombstones, sarcophagi in the Roman period, for example. And, and also some papers looked at how Greek and Roman and, and early Christian and Jewish representations of war from antiquity found themselves on the Elizabethan stage, for example, or found themselves in crusading manuals from the medieval period or in later French and English military training manuals. So there was a big range of papers and some of those papers have found their way into our volume, but we've also commissioned some extra chapters for that volume, haven't we? Uh, yes, we have indeed. Um, and what, one of the things that I hope we're, we're, um, we're trying to get out of this is also a bit of a rethinking of what we mean by influence. So uh, rethinking of how this kind of interaction between texts and, and reality works, because often there's sort of a tendency to really focus on a direct, tangible and demonstrable uh, influence of one text onto another. And of course, these things are and remain important and, uh, and interesting to us. And we, we continue to uh, look into those. But we also hoping to kind of go beyond that a little bit. And that what out of the volume uh, emerges is more of a big picture idea of how war and battle narratives were working in antiquity without there necessarily being a concrete and tangible uh, relationship between text A and text B. I don't need to know, for example, whether an author that I'm quite interested in is 
at Polybius, who writes about Roman power in the second century BCE, whether he knew the famous uh, Alexander mosaic, the famous mosaic that was found in Pompey and that shows Alexander uh, in battle um, against the Persians. I don't need to know whether he knew this personally or whether he knew a version of this. Um, what I would like to understand is how depictions of battle in different uh, in different media are similar or different to each other, independent of any sort of direct influence between one and the other. Yeah, so it's partly about identifying these sort of greater, larger patterns that cross space and time. And just to illustrate that, it may be worth mentioning a couple of specific chapters in the book. So Deborah Ballantyne, for example, is looking at um, divine agency in Greek and Jewish writing and the habits of representation in different cultural traditions of divine agency and how that can help us think more about habits of representing human agency and human responsibility too. Another chapter by Andrew Rigsby takes a very different um, tack. He's really interested in Roman army records, in the way in which Roman official records, official documentation, consistently, repeatedly represented the interrelationship between different ranks, for example, the priority that different ranks had, um, the way in which they might organize themselves in camp as well as actually on the battlefield. And he argues that those habits of representation really translated into a soldier's worldview. They were internalized as part of a soldier's sense of identity and expectation. So that really is another way of thinking about that feedback loop between narrative and reality, but very official records not uh, mythical or, or fictional stories. And then another example of a chapter is one by Karen Britt and Ranan Bustan, focusing on the elephant mosaic, which is a narrative depiction of the Seleucid siege of Jerusalem in 132, 131 BCE. And it's this incredible image. Um, it, it's a narrative image that um, really helps us think about how narratives depict linear events. They argue that perhaps the mosaic takes some inspiration from monumental columns like Trajan's column in Rome. So they, they talk a little bit about the cross-cultural interactions perhaps between Greek, Jewish, early Christian um, narrative habits. But they're also really interested in how this narrative leads towards victory and peacemaking. Uh, and so it's an interesting exploration of the way in which narratives visualize conflict resolution, not just conflict itself. Which probably brings us to the, the next important element of our project, it's not just about war and, and battle in the narrow sense. We are really interested in uh, representations of war in thinking, writing, imagining war and warfare uh, in, in, the, in the broadest sense possible. And that includes, of course, conflict resolution. It includes uh, questions of how people make peace, how they imagine peace. It includes a uh, very important question of the fallout of war, the victims of war, what happens to all the people that have been impacted by war once the battles are over. And uh, it includes questions of how wars happen, how people talk about the need to go to war, um, what kinds of stories they use to justify beginnings of wars, to justify continuation of wars. So we, we are really quite interested in a broad view of, of thinking about war, of which battles are an important part, but battles are not the only thing that's, that we're interested in. I think that's probably worth pointing out. And maybe another thing that already also came out of what you were saying, Alice, about the conference, we had papers that looked way beyond antiquity, 
So it became very quickly clear to us that this is a project that you know ne needs to look beyond our own sort of uh, you know areas of specialism and needs to look beyond antiquity and it's a project that has a lot to say i think uh, also to people today to uh, a project that we can to explore how people talk and think about and 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 represent war in in all its different uh, elements today Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I think the bit of our volume that I'm perhaps most excited about is how we're going to end it. So we're going to be co-writing a conclusion with members of a professional theatre company, NMT Automatics. We've been working with them for about 18 months as they have developed a new play called Tempest Fugit, Troy and Us. And that play weaves together an ancient war story about Hector and Andromache from Homer's Iliad with the story of a modern couple. The man in the couple has been to Afghanistan and it's about the fallout of what, what happens to that couple and how they, how they imagine war themselves in their different ways and how they process what it means to come home from war and pick up the threads of life again. And it's been really exciting actually to see how the research that we've been doing on habits of visualizing war um, has really fed into their development of this play. So they would be the first to say that they that they started out in some ways with some fairly traditional ideas about how you represent war on stage, but they found themselves really consciously thinking about how to avoid some of the cliches that, that have been really annoying them, how to foreground elements that we don't see so often. So the everyday, the, the marginalized voices, perhaps the women's experience taking as much of a center stage as the, the soldiers experience or the, the military partners experience and the soldiers' experience having equal space. Um, and as I said, thinking about homecoming and aftermath and so on. And they've really embraced this idea of visualization as well. So originally, as they imagined it, the ancient war story and the modern war story in their play were going to sort of oscillate between each other and run in parallel and just sort of vary a little bit. But what they now want to do is have this ancient war story, the story of Hector and Andromache, to be more an act of imagination by the military partner as she explores how she thinks her husband is, is getting on in Afghanistan, how she um, imagines him behaving, what she imagines him doing. So really it's this idea that these ancient heroics of Hector, the ancient anxieties of Andromache become a lens that she uses to imagine that is actually really very, very different from what he's actually going through and what he's actually doing. So it's exciting to, to, to co-write this conclusion with them and as you say, Nicholas, it's really fitting to end our volume that way, because as we've developed the project, we've really wanted to move beyond antiquity. The, these habits of visualizing war haven't stayed in the past. They've traveled through time and they still influence representations of war today, how we understand it, even how we conduct it. Yes. And another thing I think that's that's coming out of this is also that we are not only moving beyond antiquity, we are also moving beyond the sort of traditional ways of engaging with this material that are associated with uh, with academia, academic work. Yes, we have our volume. We have um, we have we have academic conferences and and workshops, but from you know very near the beginning of the project, we have been using experimenting with uh, integrating a lot of different ways of visualizing, talking, representing a war and battle that has involved lots of different people way beyond 
academia, NMT automatics, but also and that brings me to the podcast series. Well, you know, we have the podcast <laughs> that we're using to uh, think about, explore um, the, the topics that we're interested in and to communicate those. And uh, we have the podcast also to bring in more people who work on a lot of different aspects of representations uh, of war and battle. And I think the Um, the lineup that we have for this podcast really uh, quite nicely illustrates the whole breadth of the um, of different topics and uh, and elements that we're trying to cover in this um, uh, in this project. Yes, absolutely. We've got some really exciting guests coming up. For example, the founder and director of the Never Such Innocence project, which gives children aged nine to 18 an opportunity to have their say on conflict, how conflicts affected them. We've got uh, theatre makers, we've got a documentary maker coming up. We've got someone who um, works at the Imperial War Museums Institute thinking about how to use museum spaces to deepen people's understanding of conflict, past and present. We've got soldiers and veterans coming on the podcast, people who've been impacted by war, um, artists who've been impacted by war in different ways or who represent war in really imaginative and creative ways. And as you say, Nicholas, we've been learning really, really different and really interesting things from talking to these people that's feeding into our, our wider um, study that that involves academics in art history, in film studies, in psychology, international relations. And that, that mix of professional experts and practitioners and academics is, I think, a really rich aspect of our project. For us, one of the, the most exciting things is this broad perspective that we're getting uh, by engaging with uh, with lots of different people outside of academia. And we're we were really very interested in deepening those contacts, getting in touch with, with war journalists, with um, war game designers, with, with practitioners, artists, and to carry forward this, this project and really root the project very strongly in this kind of collaboration of, of academics and, and non-academics and, and bring academia and the outside academia uh, together in a, in a really sustained and fruitful way. And we have our texts as they are, as, as monuments, but now we're looking at the same topics, the same processes, but as ongoing processes. And so that is really fascinating. Yes, and you know, some of the texts that we work on were written thousands of years ago, but they're still being activated and still being used, for example, by the Trojan Women Project, which is a theatre project using a Greek play, Euripides' Trojan Women, to help uh, victims of conflict, refugees from Syria in particular, to process their experiences of displacement and, and trauma. So absolutely, Nicholas, I, I, I've also been finding it really mind-opening, really really interesting and exciting to engage with people. Just to go back to what we were saying about this feedback loop between narrative and reality, the, the impact that war stories have is, um, is not set in stone. We can continue to shape and change that. And so it's been really exciting to engage with theatre professionals, for example, in a workshop on staging war stories to talk about the responsibilities which we have as storytellers to narrate war in ways which might actually make have, have a positive intervention in conflict rather than reinforcing ideas of hypermasculinity, for example, rather than focusing on the action and not the fallout, not the long long-lasting everyday suffering that people have to live through years after troops have gone home. 
So it's it's a really exciting opportunity, I think, to think about these war stories, not just as sort of inert things that have been written or created in the past, but things that circulate with a living, ongoing impact in our present and our future. And to bring everyone into the conversation on that, bring our listeners in, bring journalists, war game designers, as you said, veteran artists and so on in, and get everyone thinking about this. So in a nutshell, that's what we're trying to do generate more conversation about how war stories work and what they do to us. And listeners, we would really like to hear from you. What questions do you have about how war has been represented in different times and places? Have you thought about how representations in art, text, music, film and so on impact us? What might help you to think more about that? Who do you want to hear from? Do you have any suggestions for podcast guests? If so, please get in touch with us at viswar at standrews.ac.uk or you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Visualising War. Yes, so I think that's all we wanted to, to share with you for today in this introductory episode. And we hope you've enjoyed that short introduction. We look forward to welcoming you back for more conversations about uh, how war stories work and, and what they do to us. Next time, we stay in the realm of academia for a little bit, but we're moving already outside classics and we'll be speaking with two of our colleagues at St. Andrews, Dr. Laura Mills and Dr. Ken Mavor. We want to discuss with them how the study of international relations and psychology can help us uh, understand our habits of uh, visualizing war. And then after that, we'll be talking to a range of practitioners as well as academics. If you'd like to support our project, please share and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify or whatever platform you use so you don't miss an episode. And please do leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. And if you would like to join the conversation, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or whichever um, social media platforms uh, that you prefer. Just look for Visualizing War and be sure to check out our website as well. Just search for Visualizing War at the University of St. Andrews or get in touch with us directly, as Alice was saying earlier, at viswar at st-andrews.ac.uk. Our theme music was composed by Jonathan Young and the show was mixed by Zofia Gretin. Thank you for listening. Thank you and see you soon. Bye.